0: welcome to credit union conversations podcast with your host mark ritter a forward-thinking ceo who excels in helping credit unions small businesses and real estate investors succeed join mark as he explores current trends interviews industry experts and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members hello everyone this is mark ritter the CEO of MBFS and your host of Credit Union Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And sometimes uh, when I'm out there on the road and I get some feedback from people, I've actually had a couple people say, hey, I really enjoy your podcast. What do you do? uh so i I just wanted to to kind of do a quick plug for mbfs uh and who we are and what we do just so everybody out there listening uh understands what we do uh mbfs stands for member business financial services uh which is quite the the mouthful which is why i always just say mbfs and we're actually owned by 13 credit unions and work with over 100 credit unions now. Uh, We've really grown the last few years. And I hate to say that we're we're a boring business lending CUSO, but sometimes we're a boring business lending CUSO. And we help credit unions and small business borrowers and real estate investors all across the country. Uh, We help the credit unions underwrite loans, uh, which is what our guest does today. We help you close loans. We provide documentation. We service a few billion in loans. Uh, but also, what we do is we have uh, loan originators out there on the street, and we also drive a lot of loans to credit unions. But you know, the most important thing that we do uh, is sometimes I'd like to think of us—we're just a resource for credit unions. Uh, you know, all day, every day, we have credit unions. Uh, call us and say, here's my situation, what do you think we should do? Uh, we've never seen this before, we've never heard of this particular uh, situation, can you help us out and what do you think? So so we, that's my favorite part of my job, is just trying to help credit unions out. So if you're out there listening, we'd love to help your credit union and uh, see if we can grow your help grow your existing portfolio and put in, uh, fill some weak spots on where uh, your operations might be today. So thank you uh, for giving me uh, just a minute or two for a quick plug. And uh, I'm really excited to kind of get things uh, rolling and talking to you today from my home office because I have been on the road for eight straight weeks. And uh, for those of you in the credit union space, it seems like April and May are conference and meeting season. I feel like everybody uh, throws all of their conferences and meetings into April and May and then September and October. So it is sure nice to be home. It's sure uh, relaxing and catching up on emails and projects and all the things uh, that, I, that I need to do, particularly uh, around my house, catching up with all the little things that need to be done because I have a lot going on in my work life and personal life. Uh, my youngest son is getting ready to graduate uh, in June, so we are doing all the things that kids do at the end of their senior season. Uh, And then we're getting ready to pack up the house. It's under contract and we're moving to the mountains of North Central Pennsylvania very, very soon. So it's a lot of moving parts here in the family. But uh, yeah, I hope hope your 2023 is going well, uh, personally and professionally. Uh, You know, things are stable on our ends. And I always had a football coach... Uh, that, that always used to like to say, you know, you're, you're never as good as you think you are when you win, and you're never as bad as you think you are when you lose. And for the last couple years, boy, our business has really been winning. Uh, we had plenty of deposits. We were lending money out, lending money out. And this year, thing, you know, last year we, we saw mm-hmm. a slowdown. And this year we saw an even bigger slowdown. So uh, we're, we're, we're really seeing the pace of loans uh, take a hit. And that first quarter data is really, uh, really showing that the numbers that we're seeing here at MBFS are uh, across the board. So, you know, we're having to take a different perspective on the world today which is why I wanted my guest to join us. And she has been on one of our early episodes and Christina Paulson of MBFS. Christina, are you there?
1: I'm here, thanks for having me Mark.
0: All right, so uh, it's been a little while. So tell the folks out there kind of what you do here at MBFS uh, and, and what it was like in the early days and what you're up to today. Uh, and what's MBFS has uh, been like from your perspective over the last few years?
1: Sure, so I got my start in the commercial lending space over 15 years ago at a community bank here in Philadelphia. I started in a commercial loan admin role and grew into a small business analyst role shortly thereafter. From that community bank, I moved into a commercial credit analyst role at a really large nationally known bank, which afforded me some formal credit training and a wider range of experiences and lending transactions. From that institution, I moved to MBFS, where I started as a credit analyst, and now I function as the AVP of Credit Services. I oversee our entire credit department, which includes 13 analysts who underwrite both new loans and annual reviews, as well as general portfolio monitoring tasks. So when I started at MBFS nine years ago, I believe I was employee number eight. I was the second analyst at the company. And Mark, as you well know, everyone at the company reported directly to you. Over the last nine years, MBFS has grown to have over 50 fully remote employees. We've added specific departments with department heads and layers of management. I pulled some stats out of curiosity from our credit team reporting, and in those early days in 2014, we were underwriting about 20 loans a month with an average loan size of $200,000 and five annual reviews a month. Now compare that with our average from last year and with our team of 13 analysts, we're underwriting just under 100 loans a month with an average loan size of 700,000 plus an additional 55 annual reviews a month. So it's certainly been interesting to see the growth of NBFS over these last nine years.
0: Yeah, it's almost like we're a real company now.
1: We, <laughs> we are a real
0: company. The- We've gone from the cool little startup of uh, everybody doing everything and reporting to each other. And when I wanted to have a meeting, I just sort of screamed out of my office that says, uh, gather around the table. And now we actually have to plan to do things now. So, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. And I'm glad you've been along for the journey.
1: Thank you. I'm glad as well.
0: You you, you mentioned... uh, I I like to say you were one of the cool people who were work from home before work from home was cool. Uh, You know, when we started to grow, your area was one of the folks that that we shipped you out and said, here's your laptop, go work from home. Uh, So what has that been like, uh, good, bad, and ugly of working from home uh, for you? Sure. So...
1: As you said, we've been working from home long before the pandemic. The credit team went to start working from home in early 2018. So there's the obvious pros of working from home, like the flexibility. Um, like For example, you can prep your dinner during your lunch break. You can pop out for an errand or to the doctor without using your PTO time. You can be flexible in where you live because you're not confined to a reasonable commute within the area of the office. As you mentioned, Mark, you're moving away from the area of the office, but you could do that because we're remote. Uh, speaking of commute, you also get time back in your day when you get rid of that, time, that commute time. Plus, you have the additional time that you would spend getting ready to leave the house, packing lunch, things like that. From a productivity standpoint, that has increased as well. So in the analyst role specifically, you have to spend a significant amount of time spreading and focusing on the numbers to understand the deal and the trends, which it can be difficult in an office setting when you have constant interruptions and side conversations. Uh, Speaking to our time doing PPP loans, I also believe we were able to tackle so many and help so many borrowers because we were working from home and did not have those constant distractions. And then because I'm in management from a hiring perspective, you open up the potential employee pool because, again, you aren't limited to hiring people within a certain location or those who are willing to relocate. Many potential employees out there are looking for those fully remote positions in the current marketplace, so you'll have a broader talent options when searching for candidates. Now on the dislike side, I recognize working from home is not for everyone. It's definitely for me, so I struggle to think of some of the dislikes. But that said, I have heard from members of my team that sometimes you could feel like you're on an island. You can feel disconnected from the industry and from the company. So while having the lack of office distractions is a pro, it can also be a con because you lose out on some of that water cooler talk about the industry in general, or what other departments in the company are seeing and doing. You also lose the ability to shout over the cubicle wall, hey analyst, hey coworker, how would you handle this particular spread scenario? So there's systems and software that helps with this, like Teams, like Slack, and there's plenty of industry research tools out there. But none of those quite take the place of those organic conversations that would occur in an office setting
0: yeah you you know you mentioned about the the bigger talent pool and when i first moved to the philadelphia area i thought how much easier it would be because i i have this massive talent pool and these millions of people uh, in a single area, but it was actually so much harder um, because I learned traffic matters is people don't drive two hours to work. They only work in a certain area. And uh, you know where, where you live and where your office is really impacts your pool. Now now you also have a two people working at home household situation. How do you kind of set up those walls in your house so you're not getting bugged all day uh, by, uh, by other people in the house?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, we have our separate offices. Uh, my fiance has his office, it's not that far from mine, but uh, at the end of the day, we're not really seeing each other or interacting all that much throughout the day. We have our separate work, we have our separate tasks, and we respect those boundaries too. Now on the flip side of things, for people who aren't both working from home, I know sometimes it can be really distracting because family members don't quite understand that even though you're home, you are working. So we have that. We, My fiance has worked from home for 25 years, so he knows what it's like to work from home. He knows to respect those boundaries. And when the door's shut, we don't go into each other's office.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting to see how it works for me when i uh when i move and uh my lovely bride is uh home all day to see if she'll be looking uh and and kind of hovering over with me or she'll understand hey it's the work time so yeah it's uh it, it it you know there's some good it's i i don't think it's it's not sometimes not perfect but i think overall you know the work from home uh, for, for particularly for people in commercial banking uh, is a great opportunity and gives us a lot of flexibility. So, so yeah, well, why don't we pivot to talk about the world of credit today? You ready? Let's go. So last time you were here, you were underwriting loans that were probably three to three and a half percent and cash flow was great and in money was flowing and in today's world that is quite a bit different what, what do you see you know what what do you see with those deals today on, on how the interest rates are are impacting what you're doing and, and and the loans that you're seeing
1: it's really been interesting this year with the rising rate of market so prime is now eight and a quarter percent. Our average rate that we're seeing amongst our partners is now 7.5%. They're often basing those rates on Treasury now instead of Prime as well, which is a change compared to last year. So for conversation purposes, let's just assume we're looking at a real estate investor who's interested in purchasing a $400,000 investment property. We're going to offer them a $300,000 mortgage. We're going to give them a 25-year amortization. Taking into account the average rate offered by our MBFS partners last year, The monthly mortgage payment would have been around $1,600. Total principal and interest payments would have been 490,000 roughly over that life of the loan. That same mortgage using the average rate offered today is now over $2,200 with total principal and interest payments over 665,000. So we're taking what might have been an affordable mortgage and deals that cash flowed perfectly last year into something that's no longer affordable. Because of that increase in rates, and the subsequent increase in the cost of mortgage, the cash flow is now significantly impacted. So that means the borrowers can't afford the mortgages at the 70, 80% LTV like they would have last year. On most of our transactions, the analysts are really working with the credit union partners to find loan amounts that not only suit the borrower, but fit within the parameters of credit union policy. This means borrowers are having to inject more cash upfront or in the case of uh, refinances, take le- less cash out we're also seeing many transactions where borrowers intend on increasing rent significantly just to make it profitable, just so they could afford the mortgage payment. And in those scenarios, we're also having the conversation of whether or not that existing tenant could support the increase in the housing expense, or if this is going to lead to increases in vacancies and how those vacant units can be filled.
0: Yeah. It, it's really amazing. When, once you start looking at the actual numbers, because everybody wants to see affordable housing everybody wants to see that in, in the last few years people have rec- many, many people have received significant raises in income uh, they're making a lot more you know I, I think of my son who, who who was working at Wawa for the past year one two years and his he was making fifteen dollars an hour at Wawa. and a couple years ago, that was a seven dollar and eight dollar an hour job. So people are making it, but it's going right out the door uh, in terms of higher rent. Now, you know people generally need a place to live so, you know that they're stretching they're getting roommates they're they're having they're they're doing less but that you know six hundred dollars a month has to come from somewhere and you're just seeing the these increases in wages uh out the door um i mean you <laughs> you you, you kind of see and hear much more of the trendy places in philadelphia where it is a lot of renters i mean how do you see that just impacting and what do you, uh, people uh with their day-to-day life
1: yeah, it it is really uh, increasing. You know, the cost of everything. The cost of you know the restaurants that we used to go to is somewhere where we may have spent you know seventy, eighty dollars. We're now spend, spending well over a hundred dollars for a dinner out for two people at at those trendy places. The cost of living is obviously increasing in terms of housing. As you said, housing you need a place to live right so the houses you're going to get those um mortgages you're going to get those rents however you have to do it whether you bring in uh friends to or roommates to live with you we actually have a couple who couldn't quite a couple of friends who couldn't quite afford the house on their own so they brought in a roommate to be able to afford their their apartment after the increase in rents
0: yeah it it is uh and, and that's where, when, when we talk, I, I really think the the Fed, uh, they, they had to get some inflation under control, but uh, I think we're going to look back a year from now and say they probably have gone a little bit too far because I think you're going to to see just that stress uh, in in people's lives where that they have to give up somewhere. And ultimately, as a lender, uh, I think this is if people if, if you only can get so many dollars in rent, whether it be from a, a small business, from a family who's renting your apartment, uh, the only places that that seems to not be affected are student rentals. Because, heck, uh, I, I know this just from paying the bills for, for my daughter. It seems like they want to jack up the rent every year, no matter what. And all the places are still filled. But for the most places, if you can't make the income, that property is now worth less. Uh, you know, it, It's a nice property, but, but at, some, at some point, you, you could very much find yourself uh, at fully lent out on that property that you lent out, that 70% loan to value, uh, no longer is there just with the fact of these interest rates and what people can afford the profitability of the business and the profitability of uh, the, you know the each unit. So yeah, what, what do you think uh, what we might see in values?
1: Yeah, so it's, it is having a direct impact on the affordability of real estate. Higher rates make those mortgage loans more expensive. So it's gonna lead to a decrease in demand. Plus you have those borrowers who got locked in at that really low fixed interest rate and they're not letting go of that to move to a large to a larger place with a higher mortgage rate now. So I think throughout the year and into next year we're probably going to see a decrease in the values because of that decrease in demand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the interesting piece now that me and you are seeing is when it comes to renewals or loans coming up for balloon. Because then lenders could find themselves in no man's land. And we like to think that you know, we're, we're pretty smart because we came up with five-year balloons on, on a note and saying, oh, well, if we don't like it in five years, they can just, uh, they'll be forced to leave. Well, what are you gonna do if they can't leave? Uh, what are you gonna do if they can't find uh, your, your, your note? Uh, you you're pretty, could pretty well be stuck with this borrower. And you know it's 2023. If we go back five years, you know maybe 2018, 2019, the loan was a re- done. Now some of it might have been uh, refinanced at a lower rate. So maybe we have another year or two until we see these ultra low rates getting ready to uh, modify and renew. But still, even let's say if the rates then are six percent, you're talking about doubling uh, your interest rates from your original note, and that property is going to be under stress. So you know what? What are are you seeing any of these uh, renewals or you know refinances come up where uh, it's it's you know you're damned if you do and damned if you don't because uh, the loan is there. But it just doesn't cash flow now like it did.
1: We are. We're seeing that scenario a lot. So like with any renewal, the credit union should get back to basics and start with the financial health of the borrower, like reviewing their credit history, their income stability, and debt service coverage ratio. But if the borrower's financial position has deteriorated significantly, or they're also going to struggle to afford the higher interest rates, you have to consider different renewal terms or explore alternative solutions. So I think starting off, the credit union should have open and transparent communication with the borrower and vice versa. The credit union should reach out to the borrowers proactively well in advance of the renewal date to discuss the potential impact of the higher interest rate on their loan payments. That will allow the borrowers to make informed decisions, consider alternative options if necessary. They should also play a proactive role in offering financial guidance and education to help the borrowers navigate the changing market conditions, like providing information on budget, refinance options, debt management strategies. The credit union can also consider flexible loan renewal options to borrowers. So maybe you're not offering them 8% like you do with your new borrowers, but you offer them a wider range of options. Maybe you give them choices between fixed or variable, depending upon the terms, whatever best fits within the criteria of them being able to pay it. Ultimately, you want the principal paid back on this loan. So providing that flexibility can help the borrowers manage the cash flow and reduce the risk of default.
0: Yeah, I think the easiest thing for a credit union is just to throw up their hands and say, well, we're not gonna renew this. Thank you, have a good day. Uh, but, but you're really almost putting yourself in a death spiral uh, because if they, it, 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 the market is tough right now for lending. And if they can't go for, uh, refinance that loan elsewhere, uh, it's still your loan whether you like it or not. So, so kind of coming up with the least painful option for everybody is sometimes the best alternative. So, well, let's talk and we're going to speculate a little bit about uh, the marketplace and some of the different property types that we see. And, and, and what we see out there in the marketplace and where we think things might be going. And and, and just to talk, uh, give a quick overview and uh, nobody's gonna hold us to anything, but uh, let's throw out some uh, thoughts on each of these different areas. And, and, and our most common loan that we see is still residential apartments, uh, residential units, whether it be one to four family places that look more like a house uh, larger apartment buildings, you know, what, what have you. And this is what seems like the most resilient area uh, because it just seems like supply is struggling to keep up. Uh, I, I don't know how and why. It just seems like we have uh, more people than units for people to live in and uh, demand is strong as ever. So even though what we talked about is cash flow might be tight these days or tighter it just uh, for for most areas it just seems like we have a lack of housing in this uh, in the United States in most regions and these units get filled so so what are your what's your thoughts on the residential uh, re- units and residential investments
1: so I was reading an article on Forbes the other day and they said in summary that the typical spring home buying season that we normally see, it's now May and it's not started yet and it may not start at all this year. So with the mortgage rates increasing, the continued limited inventory, the prices are staying high. It's making it difficult for home buyers, specifically first-time home buyers to afford their mortgages. The number of available homes on the market is likely going to continue to remain low because, as I mentioned earlier, those homeowners have low fixed rate mortgages and they don't want to trade them in for higher higher rates. So it's going to keep inventory levels low. So that said, economists are predicting that the housing market is more likely and may have already begun to correct itself rather than crash. Speaking specifically to mortgage affordability issues, this can also increase the amount of renters in a market area. So at the end of the day, like we said earlier, housing is and always will be a basic necessity and that ensures that those properties held by investors are going to obtain, always have some value despite those market fluctuations. It's just how are we going to be able to find homes for everybody?
0: Yeah, it's, I don't know if there is a quick answer because it takes years for units to correct itself. So that is going to – and planning for construction loans today with the inflationary environment in labor and supplies, it's very, very expensive to bring new units on demand. So that is certainly something to watch. But for existing units, I, I still think it's a very attractive lending option for credit unions uh, to, to be in. Switching gears – I remember when I first got into lending, one of the things that people always worried about and they weren't seen as very desirable collateral was what we call the industrial properties. These warehouses, these flex spaces, uh, you know, a lot of times just the the big warehouses were not seen as, as something that people want. Well, then uh, Amazon happened and everybody started buying things online and you needed warehouses to store everything uh, because all these mom and pop retailers and retail stores uh, started uh, diminishing. Uh, Where do you think we are in terms of warehouse space and this industrial flex space uh, as 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 collateral in the marketplace?
1: So overall, I think there's been less of a demand from Uh, manufacturing specific spaces, more businesses are offshoring their facilities to countries with lower wages, lower costs. But as you said, enter Amazon, and now there's an increase in the demand for warehouses. There's a significant increase in online sales across the board, and it continues to require companies to invest and maintain those larger warehouses and distribution centers that are close to the consumer because the consumer demands those really quick shipping times.
0: Yeah, I I, I used to live in central Pennsylvania, and uh, it it seems like that was the warehouse capital of the world. And every time I go back, they're building more warehouses because they're all filled. Uh, If you're near a transportation hub, there's certainly plenty, plenty of warehouse space, and they're all uh, looking pretty good these days. But the one that scares me most... And, and which you hear about the headlines. When people talk about commercial real estate having trouble, a lot of times what they're talking about are the office space and the retail spaces. And, you know, we live in the Philadelphia area. The King of Prussia Mall, which is one of the largest shopping centers in the United States, is packed, The it is filled, but if you go to some of the secondary malls, it seems like a ghost town. And I also look at when we go to the the major urban centers, uh, you know, the the places and businesses that were taking up many many stories, uh, they seem to be retrenching and uh, renewing their leases in smaller amounts. Well, what's your thoughts on the commercial space, particularly with office and retail?
1: Sure. So speaking specifically to the retail sector, uh, 10 million square feet of retail space has been removed from the retail market in just the last five years. Uh, The consumers are less likely to shop in brick and mortar like we spoke about with the industrial space. They instead shop online. I think we're gonna see this trend continue. I think places like the King of Prussia Mall are more a destination. It's more an event to go there versus you're just going to buy a, a quick item, a quick gift, a quick pair of shoes that you need. Uh, so I think you'll see all of those um, retail spaces like malls, shopping centers, I think you're gonna to start to see them convert to mixed-use developments in some of the less populous areas but I think you will see a stability in demand from retail spaces like restaurants because they do require person-on-person interaction and that's unlikely to be replaced by the internet, at least not in the immediate future. Uh, Speaking specifically to office spaces though, that's a really interesting one because as you know, the pandemic greatly reduced the demand for commercial property because all of these companies are working remotely, MBFS included. Uh, Many of those didn't even have to work Uh, have remote work prior to the pandemic. So a lot of economists are predicting that the demand for office space is not going to return to pre-pandemic levels because of these hybrid and fully remote structures. They're being offered by the companies due to employee preference and employee retention initiatives. So I think you may see demand for the best buildings in the most attractive locations, the new buildings, the one that have all the amenities. But those older buildings with the outdated amenities the ones that are in the poor locations are probably going to struggle
0: yeah i i, I would have to agree with you it's uh you know the the, the that top 25 percent in terms of locations and desirability and they're in the right areas that they're always going to be there but but that bottom 25 uh you know the bottom third is really struggling to, to the point, I'm seeing a lot of these developments, uh, you know, kind of the aging malls, they're, they're just being imploded in uh, and, and they're putting up some standalone retail space, they're turning them into housing developments, uh, doing anything other than just, uh, you know, strip malls and and, and, and indoor shopping areas. So it, it's, it's, it's been a slow burn, uh, but I think the what we've seen uh, isn't going away anytime soon so uh, it's certainly uh, certainly a concern but you know I, I told we actually had our MBFS board meeting the other day and what I told them is the strength of credit unions is we understand our local and micro level markets so the the delinquency in some of these segments isn't zero is, isn't a hundred percent. There's good loans in your marketplace. You just really have to do a lot of due diligence and understanding of your areas. So, well, let, I'm gonna wrap it up here with, uh, with just kind of a question on, on what, you, what you see. You know, At MBFS, we work with a lot of credit unions in a lot of different areas uh, in different regions of the country. Um, What type of different uh, things do you see when you look at different regions or areas or little nuances uh, from all the different markets that we work in?
1: Sure, so at the end of the day, credit is credit. We're looking at much of the same information day in, day out. We're looking at the business tax returns, personal tax returns, debt schedules, credit reports. But the real difference comes from things like the interest rates offered in specific market areas, for example, our credit union partners may be offering rates in the mid-7% in the Philadelphia metro area, but some of those same transactions would pull a lower rate, like in the low 6% range at our credit unions in the southern states. We're also looking at the vacancy and rental rates in different market areas. So again, looking specifically to the Philadelphia market area, one-bedroom apartments have average rents of just over 2000 New York, one-bedroom apartments have average rents of 4000 and the same type of space could be leased for around $1,000 in central Pennsylvania. So we're using all of those elements in combination of uh, the creditworthiness of the borrower just to determine whether or not the loan makes sense for the market, the borrower, and the credit union.
0: So, well, that's good, good insight. Uh, and and, and, and I, my takeaway from that is we lend local and you need to understand local. And sometimes I think the headline news on the national network sometimes get scary for people, but I really think if you focus on the basics, if you focus on understanding your marketplace, understanding the properties and what you're getting into, uh, you're not going to get hurt too bad and and, and stay in your lane and uh, do what you can understand. So, well, Christina, thank you for joining us today. Thanks again. I,
1: I hope you have me back.
0: Absolutely. Always fun to get your insight and update into what's going on in the world. Well, that was Christina Paulson, the AVP of Credit Services here at MBFS, the one that makes me look good quite a bit. Uh, and her team does a wonderful job with the heavy lifting here. So everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Please subscribe on your favorite audio network. And we drop our episodes every two weeks on a Tuesday. So thank you and have a great day and talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.